Hello again, everyone. I'm Joe Longinusa, welcoming you to another edition of Next on the Tee with Chris Mascaro. The show where industry leaders, golf professionals, and legends all come and discuss the great game we love so much. So without further ado, let's turn it over to our host to tell us who's next on the tee. Chris, take it away. Hey, thank you, Joe. Good morning, everybody, and thank you for joining me again this morning on Next on the Tee. I'm your host, Chris Mascaro, and today I've got three absolutely outstanding guests to share with you. First up today is going to be former PGA Tour Pro and now top instructor Dave Stockton Jr. And I am incredibly privileged and blessed to be able to say that this is going to be Dave's fourth visit with me on the show. I'll get his thoughts on the Open Championship. We'll get some putting tips as well to help us all make more putts. Plus, we'll hear what he thinks about the guy yelling, you're the man, during a golf tournament when uh, Dave joins me here in just a few minutes. Following him, uh, we'll get our regular monthly visit from Sports One Marketing CEO David Meltzer. Dave is uh, one of the busiest guys on the planet. He recently just got back from a trip up to Alaska on a uh, Seattle Seahawks fan cruise with his partner, Warren Moon. They do a lot of work with folks over at Nike as well, and and I'm sure he and everyone there are really disappointed uh, for uh, Rory McIlroy's injury and that he's not going to be able to defend his Open Championship uh, due to that ankle injury. We'll talk about that, plus uh, hear what he thinks, uh, you know, or who he thinks that leaves the door open for to win an Open Championship and all the other things that they are doing over at Sports One Marketing when Dave joins me here about 20 minutes from now. And then uh, following Dave's one and two, our uh, our good friend and uh, former uh, PGA Championship, uh, 2003 PGA Champion, Sean McKeel, is going to be back with us to answer your questions that you've been sending me over the last week or so. Uh, and if you'd like to, you know, have Sean answer your question either on the air or over social media, you can send it to me on Twitter at CT Mascaro. Uh, you can go to my Facebook page or you can go to the show's Facebook page next on the T with Chris Mascaro and uh, and uh, give us your question there and we'll be sure to get it on the air for you. So today is going to be another great show. I am so glad that you are going to take the journey with me uh, over the next hour to hour and a half. Uh, we are going to have a lot of fun. But uh, let's get things kicked off in a couple of ways. One, Next on the Tee is brought to you today by Seymour Putters. Let's uh, hear a word about our friends over there. Golfers, has this happened to you? Great drive. Perfect second shot on the green. Only the three or even four putts shaking your head all the way back to the cart. I have good news. Help is on the way with the Seymour Putter. The Seymour Putter Company patented RST technology sets up the putter perfectly every time using a visible gun sight on the top line. Genius. It's like locking radar onto the target. In this case, the golf hole. Putting the golfer in perfect position to make a reliable and consistent stroke. The 1999 U.S. Open and 2007 Masters Champions both use, you guessed it, the Seymour Putter. So if you're ready to make more putts and take strokes off your game, log on to Seymour.com. That's S-E-E-M-O-R-E.com and put a Seymour putter in your bag today. Like Joe said, check out the rifle scope technology that helped win two majors in 35 tour events and counting. And that's going to help you make more putts too. I know it's helping me make mine. Check them out online, 
Seymour.com, S-E-E-M-O-R-E.com, and get one in your bag. You're going to be very glad you did. I also want to give a shout-out to our friends over at Allen Edmonds, the shoes of great leaders from the Oval Office to corner offices to stage and screen and promising cubicles all around the country are a part of what make people successful. The right footwear is important on the carpets and the hardwood floors of our global economy. Get it right with made-in-the-USA quality and value from Allen Edmonds. Allen Edmonds is an American original. Check them out online at allenedmonds.com. We also want to kick off the show today like we do every single week here on this show by saluting the brave men and women serving in our military and listening in on the Armed Forces Radio Network around the world. We want to thank all of you for your daily sacrifices and what you do for us every single day to keep the rest of us safe. We also want to thank our veterans for all they've done for us over the years. We truly appreciate everything that our military personnel do to preserve our freedoms and our liberties. It's through your strength and your efforts that our way of life is even possible. Our sincere thanks as well to Sean Cruz and all the wonderful folks over at the Armed Forces Radio Network. It's an honor for us to have our show be a part of your network. You can find us by going online to armedforcesradionetwork.org. And we also want to remind our veterans, be sure to check out globalvoiceforveterans.org. It's a great site with news and articles and a wealth of information designed specifically for our veterans that I'm sure you guys are going to find both interesting and beneficial. Again, check it out, globalvoiceforveterans.org. We also want to thank everyone listening in across the Internet on great sites like iHeartRadio, TuneIn, Spreaker, Stitcher, iTunes, and Blog Talk Radio as well. Plus, if someone's dragging you to the mall or to the grocery store, or you're just simply tired of the same old, same old that you have to listen to on your commute, download the Player.fm or Stitcher app on your smartphone, and you can take us with you everywhere you go. Let us give you something fun to focus on while you're out and about. All right, now joining me on the Seymour Putters guest line, like I said, for a fourth time, which is just absolutely wonderful. I, mean, I can't, I can't be, I can't say enough for how privileged I am to say that uh, Dave's going to be joining me uh, for the fourth time. Is Dave Stockton Jr. Let me give you a little background reminder about Dave. He's from Redlands, California. Like his father and grandfather, he was an All-American golfer at the University of Southern California. Joined the then Nike Tour, now the Web.com Tour, back in 1993, and won twice his rookie season at the Nike Connecticut Open and the Nike Hawkeye Open. Went through Q School in 1994 and earned his tour card, finishing 96th on the PGA Tour money list as a rookie, and he had two third-place finishes that year, totaled three top-10 finishes. From 93 to 2006, he had, 10, or he had six top-10 finishes on the Web.com Tour and 13 top-10 finishes on the PGA Tour. Following uh, his playing days, he's uh, spent years as a commentator for the USA Network. He's also one of the top instructors anywhere on the planet. And when he's not helping others improve their game, well, we're going to get a little hope, uh, hope uh, for our uh, our putting games today. He's also he's out uh, hunting and fishing with his dad and with his son. And like I say, we are privileged that he is next on the tee with me again this morning. Morning, Dave. How are you, my friend? Doing good, Chris. Good to be back on with you. I appreciate it very much. Dave, so I have to tell I love following you on Twitter. And for our listeners, you can follow Dave at DSJR1 on Twitter. I see you're not a fan of the guy yelling, you're the man at golf tournaments? <laughs> well, I just remember my playing days. And, you know, some you know some people just like hearing themselves. And uh, it's just I, the, the thought, the, the words that come to mind when you hear that when you're playing in a tournament, 
you can't really say on the radio. Um, and, uh, <laughs> you know, it's just, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, not a fan of it. And, uh, that's one of the, the only place you don't hear it, it seems like is the masters cause they'll be, uh, kicked out and never invited back. Um, but, uh, <laughs> yeah, I don't know. It just potatoes and you, the man, and I don't know all the stuff It it, uh, I think people just like you know have a few drinks and then they think they're they're gonna tape it they're gonna they're gonna video it uh, right. from home and so they go home and listen to themselves. <laughs> right, <laughs> Dave. Um, tough news for one of the guys I know you and your father have worked with over the years, Rory McIlroy. It's a shame that we're not gonna get to see him try to defend uh, his Open Championship, um, you know, or have you know the potential showdown. I think that we're all wanting to see uh with Jordan Speeth. Uh have you have you guys had an opportunity to to talk to Rory or to get an idea of how, how severe this injury is? Um I I haven't talked to him personally and I'm not sure if my dad has. I know that um I've talked to the guys at Nike and you know it it's unfortunate. Bad there's never any timing that would be good for something like this. Uh you know, I think the thing you got to take into consideration and realizes he's 26 years old he's a kid and he likes playing soccer um you know a lot of players have hobbies and uh you know some are more dangerous than others and i mean i played soccer growing up as a kid and i i broke my left foot in a soccer game so you know it it uh you know it's just it's an unfortunate thing and i know that you know Boys will be boys. I mean, he just—he's not going to stop playing the thing, things he loves. It just unfortunately it happened the timing that it did, um, right before, uh, right before a, a major championship, him defending his Open championship and having it at the, the home of golf at St Andrews. I mean, and the the, mm. the budding rivalry that he has with with Jordan is is uh, fun to see and would have been fun to watch this this, this next week, but. Uh, have to wait till next year. Right, and 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 to your point, Dave. You know, you know, when when something like this happens, there, you know, there's an outcry that say, you know, that athletes, you know, shouldn't be allowed, quote unquote, you know, to do, you know, certain activities, whether it's play other sports. To your point about, you know, other activities that uh, you know guys may make, may be involved with, whether they're, you know, dangerous or not. And I guess on some level, I get the idea that, you know, boy, you know, a sponsor or Fans don't want to see their guys. You know, I'm a I'm a big Steelers fan on the football side, and you know, remember a few years back when Ben Roethlisberger got injured, you know, in, in, a, in a in a motorcycle accident. You know, there are certain dangerous things we don't want our athletes, you know, to be involved with. But you know, to, and I think this is kind of what you were saying, and I don't want to put words in your mouth, but I mean, you got to be able to live your life, right? I mean, you you can't live, you sure. can't go through your life in a bubble. Now saying you know oh you can't do this and you can't play that and you know you got to be able to have some fun in life. I mean, do do sponsors have the right to tell guys what they can and can't do? Do you think? Well, I, I think it's different in a team sport versus an individual sport. Um, you know, and and you know if you're if you're if a team has a contract with you and you're you know they they can write up whatever they want. I mean, they can say we don't you can't be doing this, can't be doing that. I mean. They have more of a right, I think. I think the individual sports like golf, uh, tennis, you know, sports like that, where they're individual, you know, they're they're the sponsors know that the you know the players like doing certain things. Um, I don't think there's too many. I mean, 
I don't, I don't know that there's too many uh, guys on tour that are doing things that are, you know, just really, really dangerous things. You wouldn't consider playing soccer with your buddies, kicking the ball around. You're not going to have a contract that says you can't play soccer. That, that would be right. – it just it was a freak accident. Um, you know, I mean, I – I like to I like to surf. I like to be out in the water. I mean, okay, well, what if I got hurt and I was, you know, okay, well, I can't do that. I mean, it's uh, it's just unfortunate. I mean, you know, the sponsors. I think it's kind of a, a known risk that they take when they they sign a player um, who has, you know, golfers have hobbies. <laughs> Athletes have other sports they like to do. That's the that's the you know, if you're playing one sport. You know, players like doing other sports. I mean, baseball players love playing golf. Hockey players love playing golf. You know, and golfers the same way. Basketball, whatever it might be. Ping pong. You could get you could get hurt playing ping pong. I mean, who knows? There's there's all sorts of crazy things that can happen. And uh, you know, just unfortunate that it happened uh, to to the number one player in the world and uh, two weeks prior to the Open Championship. Right. Dave, let's let's talk a little let's talk a little putting. You and your dad are, are renowned for being such you know great putters and great teachers, you know of the putting stroke and, and everything else for that matter. Um, another great friend of the show, Eric Johnson, who's also a top 100 instructor. I know he credits your dad with teaching him his putting grip and the putting stroke. And and what, one of the things that Eric has come on the show and talked about when he's we've talked putting is you know that how your father taught him high hands on the putter grip. What's the significance of having your hands high at the top of the grip? Yeah, getting getting the putter more in the lifeline and having the toe more in the ground, uh, not having your hands relaxed down. Um, you know, for a right-handed player, I mean, we the left hand is your direction hand. So the higher your hands sit, the quieter your hands are going to be throughout the stroke. Um, and uh, a good example of that is uh, Steve Stricker, who has – the toe on the ground, the heel's actually in the air a little bit. Um, and uh, very little face rotation and movement. It's just back and through. And um, it just gives you the quieter hands. The lower the hands sit, most people tend to grip it more down in the fingers of the left hand. And then that also gets you to have your hands relaxed down where the toe might be slightly in the air. But the more your hands relax down, the more that right hand wants to get in there and be active because you know, for a right-handed player, your right hand's your dominant hand. And uh, it's it's a part of every shot of the game to us except for the low pitch or chip around the green and the putting stroke. It's the left hand doing those. But that right hand, if it's not practiced, it wants to get in there and flip it and, and release it, and then the toe's opening and closing a lot more than it would if it was hands or higher. One of the other things that, um, you know, as, as I've watched some of the videos that uh, that you and your dad do talking about, you know, the putting stroke is many of us are, are taught about, you know, the amount of backstroke we should have should be equal to the amount of follow through that we do on a putt, which winds up, you know, getting the, the putter blade higher off the ground. And that's not what we should do, right? Well, I mean, no, I mean, I, we're more let the putter go back. And if it goes, we like the rhythm of the stroke to be consistent you know, the same speed back and through, a good rhythm to the stroke. And if the putter goes back too short, um, you'll tend to accelerate into the ball, and then the putter goes farther, and effectively it'll start coming up. And um, if the putter goes back, we like keeping the putter low throughout the stroke. If the putter goes back far enough, 
it won't have to go through as far. Uh, it's not stopping at the ball, but it's just backing through, if it's, and it's not short and then ex- accelerating into it, if that makes sense. I, I talk to people all the time. I mention, you know, the feeling of a, you know, the sound, the metronome, backing through the same rhythm. Get a rhythm where you're rolling the putts, not hitting them. Mm-hmm. And you know, and that's and that's one of the things, right? That um, that you and your father saw when when Rory was getting off from a you know having you know, making a lot of putts. He happened to I think you guys were watching a golf tournament. Saw Rory was was getting the to, you know getting the putter blade a little higher off the ground. It wasn't as low as you guys want. And then and that the the, the sequence with your father, you know, sent him a text message, and you guys got together with Rory and got him back on track in time to in, in you know time to win some tournaments last year. Yeah, I mean, it was, that's usually his MO. The, the putter will tend to come up um, or the, the toe will close just a touch instead of keeping that left hand, the back of that left hand solid and just not breaking down. Um, and those are such minor little fixes, uh, little tweaks that whenever it does happen, um, it's usually a matter of, you know, just a couple minutes of, of getting the right feeling again and boom, he's off to the races. Um or any player for that matter, but you know the the, the bigger thing that the, the thing that that we've spent more time on and just having the right mindset, uh, like having him in the right mindset when he's putting because you know putting's ninety percent mental and that's I think that's one big difference between my dad and I the way we teach and 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 other instructors out there we teach a lot more on the mental preparation the the routine and 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 getting the right thoughts, having the right thoughts walking into the putt, because you can have a wonderful stroke and focus solely on just i got to make a perfect stroke here. But if you're not thinking the right thing over the ball, you're not going to make putts. And that's why there's no perfect way to stroke the ball, but you do need to be thinking the right way, you know, on the greens, walking into the putt with confidence. And that's what we work with players on is getting them walking into putts with confidence and a consistent rhythm and routine. What are the things that we should be thinking as we are lining up a putt or standing over one? Well, I mean, one is your every single putt you have, whether it's a 50-footer or a 3-footer, you're visualizing the ball going in as you're setting your feet. You're seeing, you're walking into the putt knowing, after you've read the putt and everything, you're walking into the putt knowing you're going to make it. My dad always would say to me, walk in expecting to make every putt. If you miss, you'll be be shocked that you miss, but you'll make the next one. And he beat that into my head, just having that mindset. Because, you know, you, you could have days, and uh, Kuchar's a good example of this. You, you have days where things don't go so well. Well, a perfect example, the, the most recent one with me, Ross Fisher, on Friday, uh, playing this week, he birdied the first hole, and then he made 10 or 11 straight pars. And then he made five birdies the last seven holes, something like that, the last seven or eight holes, all of a sudden the floodgates opened. And that's a that's attributed to having pay, the patience to know that, hey, just keep the mind, keep the, the, the mindset and the belief that hey, I'm going to make this putt. And then they're not all going to go in, but you're going to make more if you have that mindset. And he said that to me. He said, you know, I just kept, I just kept going through my routine. I knew, I knew I was rolling it well. I was going to make some putts. And, um, and sure enough, yesterday he lit it up and uh, had a good back nine after after being kind of right around the cut line. 
So, I mean, that, that's that's the power that you hear, always hear the, the phrase, the power of positive thinking. It really is true. And, um, you know, to have that belief, I mean, I know for a fact my dad's never walked into a pot where he didn't expect to make it. And and I just carried that same feeling. I mean, you just, why not? Why not have a, a positive uh, attitude about the putt and the, and the, the process? And, you know, everybody's different. So the routine, you've got to make your routine your own, just like your signature is your own. Get a routine that you're comfortable with that's going to repeat every single time. And when you do go practice on the putting green, 20 minutes, maybe 25, going through your routine each time. And if you practice that way where you're only using one or two balls and you're going through your routine, you're going to repeat that under pressure a lot more than the person that I see it all the time. Someone comes to me and they first time working with me and they have the line on their ball and they go through their routine. I give them a, I say, this is a 15 footer to win your club championship or whatever it might be. And they, they line their ball up and they do the whole thing. And I say, I ask them, when you practice, when you go out and practice putting, do you line up your ball every single time? And I've only had one person in seven years say, yes, I, I line up I line up my ball every time. And everyone else says, no, I just come out and putt. I said, okay, well, so you're not practicing your routine when you're practicing. And then you get on the course and then we start trying. And they understand the disconnect right away. They realize that well, they're not practicing their routine. They don't even think about it. But then when I bring it up to them, they're like, okay, well, that makes sense. And then and then we usually get rid of the line. Because <laughs> <laughs> nah, I throw at them, the next thing I the next thing I throw at them is what's more important, the right line or the right speed? And they say, well, the right speed. And I said that's exactly right. So why would you put a line on your ball? And then they don't have an answer. They just start smiling, and I ask them, have you ever thrown darts before? And they say, oh, sure. And I said, well, the way you putt with the line would be like you throwing darts instead of looking at the bullseye, you're going to look at the, your wrist angle and your dart in your hand as you throw it. And they just start laughing. That's a great point. And that's, and that's one of the things that I've seen, you know, and you and I have talked about this in the past and I, you know, seen the videos with you and your father. And that's one of the things you guys talk about as well is, you know, you know, when, when you're, when you're standing over the ball and you're and you're you know getting ready to putt, you know you're when you're looking, you're not looking down. You're looking at the target. You're looking at the hole, and that's when you kind of get your feet set and everything. And then you're sort of just looking down, and boom, then you putt. And talk talk through the visualization part and then kind of you know extension of what you just said. It's not about you know looking at down at the ball. It's about looking at the target, right? Right. Yeah. I mean. It- it's if you're if you're staring down at the ball, one you're in your conscious mind, two you're trying, not good when it comes to putting, and it's it's it can be very frustrating because you, you know you just you're always trying to be just so. And the thing I I've always told people is it's not about being perfect. The same thing my dad told me. There's more than one line the ball can go in the hole on. It's far more important to as you're setting your feet visualize the ball going in the hole as you're setting your feet. I do two things. I'm visualizing it going in and I'm feeling the speed and I get both those from looking out at the hole. I don't get anything from looking down at the ball because the ball doesn't matter. What matters is where I'm sending it, which is into the cup. And if I let my eyes set my feet, that's my feel. That's my visualization. 
that's getting me that's allowing me to get comfortable over the putt. If people are uncomfortable over putts, I guarantee you they set their feet looking at the ball. They look out at the hole, but then they look down at the ball and they set their feet and they get all upset and then they look out at the hole and they wonder why they're not comfortable. Well, you lined up to the ball, which is real novel because the ball doesn't matter. And <laughs> so it's just <laughs> it's more about it's just like you wouldn't throw a dart. You wouldn't shoot a free throw looking at the basketball in your hand, you're looking at the rim. It's a visual sport. It's a visual game. My dad and I get asked all the time if we do clinics together and and someone will inevitably say, well, how often do you back off a putt or are you not comfortable over a putt? And we both have the same answer, and people are shocked. We've never been uncomfortable over a putt. And they don't understand that, but the reason why we've never been uncomfortable over a putt or backed off is because we're setting our, letting our eyes set our feet. That's our feel. Our feel isn't going to allow us to set up uncomfortable over a putt. Now, that's harder for there's two types of players. There's the mechanical player and the feel player. The field player gets this really quick if they haven't been doing it already. The mechanical player, they tend to fight it a little more because they want to try to control every little thing and get it just so. And so that's why the, the average is the field, the field putters down, going down through history are, have always been the better putters than the mechanical putters because it's not about being perfect. It's not that big a stroke. It's more about you freeing it up and letting it go and, and trusting and believing what you're seeing. And and that's and that's something that, that mechanical players struggle with. Dave, one more before we let you go and, and I'm curious to to get you know, as as we as we project ahead to, to the open championship and we know, you know, over in Scotland, you know, weather conditions play such a big factor you know, and winning that golf yep. tournament and playing over there. You've got, you know, you you got a range of weather conditions from, you know, it can be very blustery with the wind. You can get rain. It can be beautiful. It can happen. All all those things can happen in the course of the same round over there. They change right. so quickly. But but as, as we look at, you know, a blustery day, let's just talk about wind. If you're dealing with a, a day where the winds are gusting, you know, 20, 30, 40 miles an hour, what's what, what are things that we should consider or watch for for guys on the putting greens for how they contend with that kind of wind. Well, you'll, you'll see the, the guys, anybody with, with the, the longer putters that are more upright and taller are going to struggle because uh, they, they can't, they can't get set down. Uh, for me, when I played in high winds, I would, uh, my, I would, my, my stance would get wider and I would have a little more weight inside left foot um, just to have a solid base. And, uh, that was something I always did. And, and it's very – the thing with putting in wind and hitting the golf ball in the wind as well, the tempo tends to get quicker in the wind. So it was always important to, you know, with hitting shots, you know, taking extra clubs and keeping that rhythm, um, sometimes taking two extra clubs and swinging 80%. That keeps the ball down. It also keeps your – it keeps your timing – uh, in place a lot better than swinging harder. And then the putting is just that having that rhythm and, and, uh, not getting quick with the stroke, uh, letting the putter go back. So it has a rhythm back and through. Those are the things that you'd want to be looking for. And, you know, I love the open championships. One of my favorites to watch on TV. It's on early in the morning and 
St. Andrews this year. It's going to be a great championship. Should be uh, should be a lot of fun to watch. Absolutely right, Dave. Thank you so much for taking time out of your Saturday morning, getting up early out there on the West Coast to be a part of it. Um, you know, we're continuing to campaign for your father to get into the World Golf Hall of Fame. His he's earned induction, and uh, we're going to keep putting it out there until one day we uh, we read the happy news that that he's gotten in. But uh, please pass along our uh, our thanks to to him as well, and uh, a big thanks to you for continuing to, to be a part of the show. Let our listeners know how they can follow you online and over social media. Yeah, that Joe, you said early on it. Uh, DSJR1 is my Twitter. And uh, <laughs> I'm on that a little bit. My wife thinks I'm on it too much, but uh, um, <laughs> that's that's where people can follow me. Um, and uh, I'm on Instagram as well at uh, David B Stockton. But uh, and then you know StocktonGolf.com, you can get a hold of me uh, through there. And um, and uh, just uh, just love what I do. Love helping people, Chris. And I love being on your show. I appreciate you having me on again. All right, Dave. We thank you as well. You're fantastic, and uh, we look forward to hopefully catching up with you again real soon. In the meantime, all the best to you and your family, my friend. Thanks. You too, Chris. Take care. Have a good weekend. All right. Same to you, Dave. Take care. Dave Stockton, Jr. What a, you know, and folks, StocktonGolf.com, I highly recommend. Check it out. They've got so many great videos and instructional tips there. It's a, it's a wonderful place. Uh, help you not only with uh, with your putting, but the short game and everything else in between as well. All right, now back with me on the Seymour Putters guest line is Sports One Marketing CEO and best-selling author, David Meltzer. Dave's book, Connected to Goodness, Manifest Everything You Desire in Business and in Life, continues to be a top seller on Amazon and fly off the bookshelves of bookstores all over the country, probably around the world as well. He is positively impacting people's lives, folks, all over the world through his company, Sports One Marketing, and his partnership with NFL Hall of Fame quarterback Warren Moon. His newest site uh, that launched a a couple of months ago, MeltzerMission.com, has a wonderful positive message for you every day. Uh, I highly recommend signing up on that site. You get the auto delivery of some uh, wonderful inspiration every single morning. It's uh, it's a great site to check out as well. And I'm not sure there's a person on the planet who's got a busier schedule than Dave does. So we are very excited that uh, he's back with us uh, for his uh, monthly visit with us on Next on the T. Good morning, Dave. How are you this morning? Oh, I'm doing well. Very, very well. How are you? Oh, fantastic. Thank you. Dave, I, I want to start out our conversation this morning talking about your site, MeltzerMission.com. You had the, the 30-day gratitude challenge, which was fantastic, you know, and it's uh, you actually call it on your site the happiness challenge, which is a wonderful idea. What uh, Tell our listeners, what inspired you to put that together? You know, I uh, through my own experience, have realized that two things are needed uh, to be happy. Uh, one is gratitude. And that gives you perspective. You know, I hate to simplify things, kind of listening to Dave Stockton Jr., uh, you know, what he's done is pragmatically taken a look at putting, for example, and made it really simple. You know, look at the hole, give the ball the right speed, get the right feel for it. And and that's really true about gratitude, right? We We make things so complex and we get in our way that the simple truth of life is that is our perception and what gives you a positive perception but gratitude. So if we're grateful for all the things that happen to us, all what I call the successive events of our life, and that's why I love being on your show because golf 
mirrors exactly our lives, right? It's it's a game that we play against ourselves. Uh, we're we're the common denominator on how we score, and there's ups and downs, and you know each hole is their own. It's its own game, and uh, you're you're never out of it. And uh, as you see with Jordan Spieth uh, this weekend, and you know there's all of the the different ups and downs in the successive events, and I think. You know, the great golfers are gracious people, as we'll see next week in the Open. You know, two guys uh, retiring, Faldo and Watson, uh, from the Open. Uh, you'll you'll just see that gratitude will change your life. And uh, just like Dave was talking, we want to keep uh, putting into your subconscious and your unconscious. Uh, that's what we want gratitude to be. So that's why I created the 30-Day Gratitude Challenge. If you're capable of saying thank you before you go to bed and when you wake up for 30 straight days, it will get into your subconscious and unconscious, and then you'll be a truly gracious person. And uh, habits are so hard to form. You know, I speak around the world, and thousands of people, you know, I have them raise their hand. I said, who here, who here wants to be grateful? Who here believes me that they, they can be grateful and do this for 30 straight days? And the truth is, by the, that night, half of them don't do it. And by the next morning, another half doesn't do it. And in three days, another half stopped doing it. So if we can't even think or say thank you before we go to bed and when we wake up, how hard is it to you know, diet or work out or quit smoking or some of these other habits that, that we'd like to form? And so that's why I created this happiness challenge or the gratitude challenge. That's great stuff. Dave, I want to want to get your thoughts on uh, stuff going on around the game of golf, and you know, uh, Rory, you know, McIlroy's injury uh, is going to keep him from defending his Open Championship, but you know, and it may also keep him sidelined for several weeks. We don't know yet. At least I haven't heard yet. One one of the things that you guys tweeted out that I wanted to get your perspective on is: Should corporate endorsers place higher restrictions on athletes, or do athletes still have the right to lead their lives the way they want to lead them? You know, uh, money is uh, the motivating factor for all of these athletes, whether it's a team sport where a team can dictate, uh, like with Mariota not to surf or Ben Roethlisberger to wear a helmet. Uh, You know, there's a variety of things. But in an individual sport, the economic purse is on the individual athlete. But we have these huge endorsement deals. You know, I think Rory is the 12th highest player uh, paid athlete in America with $32 million of endorsements, thanks to Nike. Uh, but, you know, I, I was thinking about this a little deeper. It's, it's very, very interesting because, you know, with, with these clauses, uh, they have to realize if, if an endorsement is going to put, you know, these risky uh, athletic clauses in saying you can't play soccer, you can't play basketball, you, you can't go swimming, um, <clears throat> you know, Nike really has to double think that because – I was watching what's going on with Roy right now and thinking, you know, yes, they're going to lose out of him playing and having the Nike swoosh scene for four straight rounds from the open. But on the other hand, they're going to talk about Rory like I am all week long. <laughs> and he's shown there in his Nike shoe with his boot on his ankle. And they're talking about Nike and they're seeing the Nike swoosh. And all throughout the Open, they're going to compare Rory because of his victories in the past and being from Europe to whoever's winning or whoever's in the lead and where'd he fall in and you know all the different stories. So in actuality, is Rory getting more publicity for his endorse, uh, you know, endorsement deals uh, by injuring himself 
than, than being well. So uh, it's a very complex issue uh, for those companies to consider because I actually think that Nike's getting more exposure now than if he actually would have played. <laughs> That's a really great point. That's an interesting perspective. And, and, and to that and to that end, Dave, you know, to your point, athletes athletes in golf are sort of their own brand, right? I mean, they're they're out there repping for Nike or Taylor Mary or Callaway or whoever it is when they're out there on the course, plus, you know, several other their sponsors that we get to see all over their shirts and hats and that sort of thing. But talk about the hidden pressure that athletes face, not only from sponsors, but also from the events themselves that have booked them in there. And if they're unable to appear, you know, a lot of times the hosts are sort of, you know, kind of stuck. Yeah, that was especially true uh, with Tiger in years past, right? When when Tiger was the draw of golf, and uh, you know he dropped out of the sport or couldn't uh, make it to, you know, and, and that's why you know way in the Middle East they would have these multi-million dollar appearance fees for him. Uh, the TV ratings uh, will, will go down. Uh, you know the fields are much more spread today. Uh, the sponsorships and endorsements are varied, uh, but it definitely hurts if the top 10 players uh, are not going to be there um, uh, to have that draw for, t- for ticket sales and for TV ratings, uh, which will draw the inter- interest for the next year, uh, and the dollars will, will drop tremendously. Uh, fortunately for golf, and you know they should be thankful for Tiger because he carried the load uh, for so long, uh, even though Phil was there, you know it was predominantly, and you see the numbers on on TV and the draw of, of uh, where Tiger played and when he didn't play. Uh, today, you have so many great players uh, that are followed, and you know the argument. You know so you got Spieth with his own endorsements, and then you have you know Dustin who's back, and then you have you know all the varied players. Uh, but you know it's probably ten. Ten players that people consider their favorite player today compared to, I believe, that 95% of the people uh, would tell you that Tiger Woods was their favorite golfer, uh, you know, 10 years ago. Uh, No doubt uh, the the events themselves put so much pressure for these top ten players to be there uh, that they're willing to pay millions of dollars just in appearance fees. Uh, to get them there, because as we all know, the money's in the the TV, uh, as it is with the NFL, for example, uh, and as you see with uh, basketball, these contracts. Uh, you know, to give you a little bit of insight, uh, you know, there's a huge TV deal coming in two years, uh, and there's you know no doubt why LeBron just signed the contract that he did, and others are signing the contracts they did with one-year deals with you know two-year options. Uh, that's because the dollars are going to increase ex exponentially uh, for the NBA and the NFL. It's all TV money. And the same thing uh, with the PGA and, of course, golf for the, the, the majors as well. Mm-hmm. And, you know, to, to your point about, you know, the pressure from the events themselves, do, do you think, is that why guys, whether it's, you know, here, you know, on, on the golf side or in, in other sports, you know, we hear about, you know, the guy came back too soon, right? The injury, you know, may not have healed completely. We've seen Tiger where we wonder, did he come back too soon for this or that? And it's not necessarily, I think sometimes people think it's the ego of the athlete that they can, you know, they can be better or they can, you know, that they're okay. But, you know, in my opinion and my thought is, you know, sometimes it's the event themselves that they've got to come back for because they are getting so much pressure 
from, you know, whether it's the event, you know, venue, whether it's the sponsors that are sponsoring that event or even, you know, their own sponsors that are putting some pressure on them because they've got to get the logo back out and visible on you that forces some of these athletes perhaps to come back too soon. Yeah, I, I, I definitely think that's it. especially if they've won in the past. Right. Past champions have a tremendous amount of pressure to make those events that they've won in the past. Uh, And, you know, you give such great insight, Chris, on the pressures of a player, because it seems so simple for the average fan that, you know, oh, this guy just wants to play. And that and that's why he comes back. But you know, it, it could it could be you know additional pressures. You know, you, you have uh, one that, that I'm familiar with. You have a wife at home, and and she's like, get back to work. <laughs> you know, <laughs> there, there's a variety <laughs> of things that this is a real world. You know, people forget that these guys have you know girlfriends and wives and kids, and th- there's a variety of things that. Uh, you know, I, I joke around, but people don't realize what baseball players sacrifice. You know, they they don't realize when they're sitting at home on July 4th or on Father's Day or Mother's Day and, you know, enjoying their families that these guys are out in, you know, some hot field in Philly, you know, with tremendous amount of humidity and their entire family, their fathers and mothers and cousins and all the things we get to enjoy, you know, they're out on the road in Philadelphia instead of being at the beach in San Diego enjoying, you know, 4th of July. The same thing's true uh with these golfers. And, uh, you know, unfortunately for Tiger, for example, the, the only time that Tiger Woods, when he was in his prime, uh, didn't perform was when his dad passed away and when he had his personal issues with his wife. And I think it exposed everyone to some certain pressures uh, that we don't think about beyond the endorsement dollars and the events and, and all the pressures that, that you bring out, uh, you know, I, I believe, and, and I have some experience at this from, you know, working with Lee Steinberg and, and running that company with all the tremendous athletes that we forget that these guys are humans and that they have the same exact right. problems that we have. The, this is a job, <laughs> you know, and it seems so exciting and it's glamorous and, you know, I, you know, I'm in the corporate world and I'm blessed to have mentors that, that make, you know, millions and billions of dollars and, you know, it, 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 you know, much more than Tiger Woods would ever dream of. And yet we don't think that Tiger Woods has the same pressure <laughs> that these guys have just because he's on TV and it seems as if we're playing a, a game for money. You know, I will tell you as a fairly successful businessman that I'd rather go into a meeting for a hundred million or even, you know, as I have a $2 billion deal, uh, then line up for a three foot putt for, you know, uh, even, even a $500,000 purse, let alone a million dollar purse. You know, I, I, I don't want that kind of pressure. And, uh, and, and regardless, <laughs> even if I had that talent, uh, you know, and I, I just don't know how these guys do it and how they handle all the different pressures uh, from sponsors and events and, you know, care, the TV, uh, the, the TV, you know, don't forget the networks, the pressure that they put on these guys right. because, you know, and then you have the media side of it, you know, if they're not there and then the guy's like, well, I was supposed to have a, you know, an insight interview and, you know, next time. So now the guy takes it personally and his perspective isn't a gracious one. So they twist and turn a story to the negative and all of a sudden your brand is diminished because someone has a personal issue with you because you didn't show up. <laughs> right. Hey, no, that's absolutely right. Yeah, it's crazy. Dave, just a couple more before 
we let you go. One, I know, uh, I believe you guys are going to be at the ESPY Awards here, you know, coming up soon. Uh, how, uh, what's it like being a part of that event? You know, it's, it, I, I love it because it's the epitome of, of sports because, you know, every athlete wants to be an entertainer and every entertainer wants to be an athlete, you know. And, and so here ESPN has done such a great job of bringing together the who's who of celebrities, entertainers, and athletes and really showing and, and, and showcasing how talented all of these entertainers are, and I include the athletes in that entertainer. And, uh, you know, for three days with the golf tournament, uh, unfortunately for Trump, that they moved to Pelican Hill here in Orange County from the Trump facility uh, for some misguided words and, and attitudes of, of Mr. Trump. Uh, but beyond that, everything is just a spectacle. It's so much fun. Uh, Warren and I are actually going to Vegas as well. Uh, we're doing the Yahoo Sports uh Radio six day uh, back and forth. We have interviews. Uh, Yahoo Sports is broadcasting from 6 a.m. till 1 a.m. every day from Lagasse Stadium at the Palazzo. Uh, and so Warren uh, has his appearances uh, because of my looks and demeanor. I have some radio interviews, but uh, you know I have a face for radio. Uh, they don't. They don't let me, uh, or no, do they want me uh, signing things? Uh, <laughs> even my books sometimes they make me. I'm like a Saints fan. They make me wear a bag over my head. Uh, no. <laughs> no, but we're we're having a lot of fun. And then we, I fly back on Thursday. I'm doing a sports technology summit. Uh, for Octane, and uh, that's uh, OctaneOC.org. Uh, we help facilitate and accelerate uh, sports technology businesses, uh, specifically in Southern California, and help them get funding and, and build business to improve the economy in sports technology uh, in Southern California. Uh, so we have Mike Haynes and I are the keynote speakers, our, our Hall of Famer there. Uh, and then Saturday, I'm um, double dipping. I have a rock Saturday uh, with the founder of Ugg Boots, Brian Smith, uh, keynote speech nice. there. Uh, and then uh, in the nighttime, we have a UW alumni party. Uh, and you can go to sports1marketing.com to join us at the in Orange County with Warren. Uh, and we're raising money through Commerce for a Cause, uh, Chris, and really, really love, you know, to the listeners to understand we we have a program that simply allows us to uh, switch out your merchant services and uh, a portion of those fees uh, will we'll match the rates, but a portion of those fees will go to your charity of choice. And, uh, you know, why should the banks keep your money? Let's give it to the, to the charities, you know, to our armed forces, to St. Jude, to whoever and whatever you believe in March of dimes, you name it, your local school, your local football team, we'll give 20% of your bank fees uh, for your businesses, small, medium, or large, uh, for those causes. And, uh, you know, we, we don't know what we have until we've given it away. And so I encourage everyone uh, to give us a call at Sports One Marketing because we, we'd love to switch you over for commerce for a cause. Com Compassionate Capitalism uh, is my next book with Blaine Bartlett. Uh, this is one of the programs that we've created for that type of capital uh, uh, expenditures. That's great stuff. Dave, thank you for uh, for joining me again this morning. I always look forward to the opportunity to get to talk with you. We get to do it every week on the football side on our sister show, Thursday Night Tailgate, and I look forward to doing it again uh, next Thursday there and next month here on Next on the T. Let our listeners know, though, how they can follow you in Sports One Marketing, whether it's online or over social media. 
Sure, it's at D Meltzer uh, for my Twitter account, and we have SportsOneMarketing.com, MeltzerMission.com, uh, you know, CrescentMoon.com is Warren's foundation. Uh, feel free to reach out to us. We are very responsive. We like to make a lot of money, help a lot of people, and have a lot of fun. And Chris, you have been an angel helping us in that uh, purpose and partnership. And I'm so grateful for you. I'm so excited that all of your shows are doing so well, and I can't wait to be a part of it in the future. So thank you so, so much. Absolutely, Dave. Thank you as well. Look forward to catching up with you Thursday on the football side and next month here on the golf side. But, Dave, always a pleasure to have you as part of the show. Uh, We look forward to catching up again and talking again real soon. Right on. Have a great weekend. Bye-bye. You too, Dave. Take care. That's David Meltzer, Sports One Marketing CEO. Uh, You know, like I say, MeltzerMission.com is a a wonderful site, very inspirational every day, folks. I highly recommend it. Get on there, uh, register. You get uh, you get free inspirational uh, uh, emails in the morning. Get your day ca- kicked off right into David's point. The idea of being gra- you know, uh, having gratitude and uh, saying thank you uh, before you go to bed at night and uh, when you wake up in the morning uh, is uh, certainly infectious and uh, something that I try to do every single day. Being thankful to uh, to our wonderful listeners on both sides of the show. Uh, thankful to God for for the opportunity to do this and thankful for the wonderful guests that we get to speak to every single week on both shows. And speaking of wonderful guests that we speak to every single week, now back with me on the uh, Seymour Putters guest line is our friend and 2003 PGA champion, Sean McKeel. Hey, Sean, how have you been, my friend? Uh, hey, I'm great. Thanks. How are you doing, Chris? Oh, fantastic. Thank you. Sean, it's... Uh, it's so interesting to me as you know as we do more shows together and following you on on social media how closely our paths probably cross throughout life uh, and uh, yet we have never met face to face you know you yeah. you live just out, outside of Memphis Tennessee as as did I for many years we attained uh, attended the same high school albeit a couple of years apart you played Germantown Country Club, and my parents lived for so many years right off the 18th fairway of of, of that wonderful golf course. My father played with you in a pro am back in 2006, mm-hmm. and 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 you grew up playing Stonebridge Country Club, and we were members at Stonebridge before moving over to Germantown. Amazing to me how how closely our paths have crossed. Yet, like I say, never met face to face. Yeah, well, we're probably destined to do that pretty soon, then, aren't we, Chris? Um, yeah, I hope been, so. yeah, it's just been a lot of. A lot of stuff. I think, um, you know, Stonebridge, there was a, I put something on Facebook the other day that my first formal instructor passed away the other day and his name was Joe Kofi. And, you know, of course my father introduced me to the game, uh, as most, as most parents do for their children, you know, whether it's a club when you're two years old, whacking things around, trying to have to break things, you know, but, um, so yeah, so I played at Stonebridge Country Club, which at the time was a private club. And, my father was, um, you know, we had moved to Memphis uh, probably when I was four or five, you know, when FedEx first started, and, you know, because he was one of the first pilots. And, uh, you know, it was about my introduction into golf, and I was getting started and, and everything, and, and my father was playing in a uh, in a member guest with another pilot friend of his. And they actually, they drew his name out of a hat, and he won a membership. So that's, that was how we first became members of Stonebridge. Wow. Uh, it was a great golf course. You know, I, I remember, I remember it like it was yesterday. It was just, just a great, it's still there and, uh, it doesn't exist 
quite as it did. I think the number one that I remember is not there. It's it's a housing development now, but everything else remains pretty much intact. And I was out there um, a couple of summers ago speaking to some um, some people out there, and it was just kind of nice to get back out there and play. But yeah, so my first instruction came from Joe, and uh, I was talking to my dad about it the other day. I was like, you know, I was really surprised. I I thought that, that he had passed away a few years ago, and I don't really know why I thought that. But it was somebody that I didn't keep in contact with after I mean, we were we were there about three or four years, and um, and I didn't keep in contact with him beyond uh, really after leaving the club. I'm mean, out at CM, you know, we play little junior interclub matches and stuff like that. But you know, there's been so much time and so many places traveled between now and then. Um, but when I saw his obituary, it just really kind of touched me because it, it just brought back a lot of memories for me of of just really getting. Uh, someone to help me as a young player and uh i'll always appreciate that we uh, we all have help along the way for sure and and uh as i posted my facebook page it's just a lot some you know i had something taken away from me that day when i read that and uh anyway he was uh he was the first one that got me started so i think about him even more now since reading his his uh his he's passed Still with us, Sean? I'm still there. All right. I thought we lost you there for for a half a second. Okay. All right. So, Sean, let's uh, let's look forward a little bit to uh, next week's uh, Open Championship. I wanted to get your thoughts on St. Andrews. First of all, what's what's it like playing that golf course? Oh, it's a beautiful place. It really is. I mean, over here we're so consumed with green and and everything, um, the, just the town of St. Andrews, um, the history that's there. Um, I've referred to this several times, the smells that are around there, particularly on the golf course. And I, I haven't quite figured out what that is. If that's, if that's the ocean coming in or if that's the, the, this, the, the, the fescue grass that grows, I don't know, but there's just this, this, um, aroma that just kind of surrounds the place. Um, the first time that I went there was in 2000 and, three after I'd won the PGA and uh Johan Rupert, um, who is a big wig in business with Dunhill, Montblanc, Cartier, um, invited me to come over through a mutual friend. And uh I told him that I would come as long as I could bring my father as my partner. Now the Dunhill Links championship to which I'm referring, it was that event and it's a it's an event exactly like Pebble Beach. You you play with one amateur and you rotate around three courses, which are uh, St. Andrews, of course, the old course, uh, Carnoustie, and uh, the King's Barnes course, which is beautiful. And so that was my first introduction there, and, and like a month later. And um, after, and it was just great to be there, great to be there with my father, great to be there with, with friends, and uh, especially with my dad being my partner, uh, who had given me so much to be able to take him over there. We flew over on on uh, someone's private, private jets. We flew right out of right into Lucas Air Force Base, which, of course, is right there. And then once you get on the golf course you, you, and you see just how flat it is, uh, you know, you're aiming at, at controlled towers. You know, the Lucas Air Force Base is right there. So it's it's different. Um, the first time you play, it's, it's it's such a defensive golf course because you're so worried about getting into the, into the bunkers that are, you know, they're just out there kind of waiting um, for you. And, um, and I think once you get your lines down, 
um, off the tee, it's it's not too terribly difficult of a course. I mean, you can miss everything to the left there, um, and you'll see that a lot this coming week. And I certainly hope they get some weather because without the weather, without any wind, I don't necessarily need rain, but without without any wind at all, the golf course is really indefensible because you know it's firm and fast usually, and you can hit irons off the tees, and you can uh, you know and they keep the greens at a manageable speed in case the wind comes up. So, um, but it, it's a fun course for many reasons, um, not least of which just the historical significance in golf. Right. So today you, you talk about all the bunkers and there are bunkers everywhere and they all have a name, you know, for, yeah. you know, put fear in the, in your heart. So, you know, you know, if you get in, you're probably not going to get out, but, do you talk about did did you get into the bunkers? Did you know and, and particularly did you get into the hell bunker or at least try to you know practice practice and say what what is this bunker really all about? Yeah, I mean you know those. Um, I think when you're around there, you, you uh, yeah, I got into a few for sure, and they're and they're pretty much just chip out bunkers. Um, but again, they're they're in places that are in play, but you can really avoid them if you try to. I, I marvel at the fact that. Tiger won his, what, his first Open Championship there, and he didn't hit it in one bunker or something like that, I think, and he didn't have a three-putt, right. which is uh, really it's hard to understand that and comprehend just how great of a feat both of those things are. Um, yeah, of course, I got into the road hole bunker, and I think everybody, um, you know, wants to – it's kind of like playing TPC Sawgrass. Everybody can't wait to get around to see uh, – to play the 17th hole and um, – you know, when you get to 17 and you're, you're you're literally teeing off next to the hotel and you're hitting it over the corner of the hotel, once you get beyond that tee ball and you, you finish out the hole, everybody wants to go over to 17 and, and just look at, at the bunker and just the depth and just how it's affected the game. Um, you know, there's a lot of tournaments, you know, a lot of open championships have been won and lost, you know, by either being in the, in the bunker or avoiding it altogether. Um, but there's much more to the course than just, you know, the hell bunker or the road hole bunker. I mean, you know, um, you know, just the Swilkin bridge. And when you tee off on one and you see how wide the fairway is, it really is difficult to find a line to hit. Uh, you know, do you hit an iron off the tee? So the thinking really starts at the very, very outset of the golf course, even though it's just so wide open. And that's sometimes the most difficult part of playing that golf course is that it is so wide open. Um but it's fun too. It really is fun. I was over there a couple of years ago playing the Dunhill, and uh, I was playing. I've played with Greg Kinnear there, Bill Bill Murray. Um, I played with a lot of people there. Um, John Tyson of Tyson Foods was my partner a couple of years ago. We had a great time, and uh, wow. we both kind of struggled. It was windy and cold, and as you might expect, in the island of the North Atlantic. But uh, it was a great time. I always enjoy playing there, and uh, the fans are are magnificent. They uh, understand the game they appreciate the game they appreciate the effort that americans and other players around the world make to come to their country and uh, and play golf and um they love it and i love it too and uh, i really i really enjoy playing over there and uh you know hopefully my time hasn't passed so you know you you talked about you know the weather conditions and, and and what it's like you know over there and we hear so often about the wild card that the weather presents, you know, like we were talking earlier with, uh, with Dave Stockton Jr. about it, you know, it can go from windy to rainy to cold to clear and sunny all in the span of, 
you know, of the same round. Does does the fact that the weather changes that much is it is is it just as much a mental test for dealing with that as it is physically? Oh, definitely. You know, everybody wants to play golf in in, in really good conditions. I mean, um, it's difficult to score when your hands are wet and they're cold, and and that's the tough part. When it's raining, it's a cold rain, so you're kind of lugging around an extra you know, four or five pounds worth of stuff, you know, whether it's gloves or hand warmers or, you know, always the, the umbrella and the rain suit is part of everybody's equipment over there. You have the 14 clubs, which are essential, but the other two are those, you know, the, the waterproofs too. You have to have that stuff. And, um, you know, the ego takes a big hit when the conditions change. Um, you know, you, you can go from uh, having great opportunities to score to have a no opportunity to even reach the green in two. And that's the thing that you find on links courses, you know, which are typically ones that go out and then come back, uh, like St. Andrews does. Um, so there's always those challenges. Um, like I said, the golf course itself is not that difficult, but when you put out the conditions of the wind and the rain, and really even the rain doesn't affect the course. It's just the wind. It's the combination of the wind and the rain that make it so mm-hmm. difficult. And, um, you know, when you're layering up and, and you're not having a free-flowing swing and you're restricted in your turn and your hands are cold and you just can't feel the club head, I mean, you're trying anything you can to stay warm. Um, you know, every time I go over there, I travel with hot hands. I, you know, I've got – I used to take a dozen – well, I'll, you know, probably a dozen <laughs> packages with me over there, and I got them in strategic places, you know, to try to stay warm, to kind of keep the feel in the fingertips and – the back. Right. I mean, now now you got these things you can take to your back, and you got feet warmers. Stuff, so it can get a little out of control. But but those are the types of things that you have to do, and it only takes one time to to forget something, and you and you learn a valuable lesson. And um, you know you you know you're thinking about your caddy as well. I mean, the poor guys out there. It's hard to hold the umbrella when it's windy and rainy, and most of the time they just tell you just to forget about them, and they've got their waterproofs on and stuff too. But you know, you're trying to keep the umbrella, you know, from breaking and, um, you know, so there's a lot of things that play into it, but it's, it's, uh, it's fun. And I, and, you know, I would encourage anybody to get over there and, and play the golf course. There's so many great courses, you know, Ireland, I've never been to Ireland, but there's just so many great courses over there that are just unique. I mean, the scenery, the towns, the people, there's just so many great things that make up golf in uh in that part of the world that that uh, it's fascinating and fun and fun to play. Sean, we talked a couple of weeks ago about some of the crazy rules in golf, but you know, over there when the wind is blowing at gale force, you know, levels and you know, like we say it does it does that, you know, fairly frequently. It's crazy to me that it could cost you a stroke if you address the ball on the green and the wind is blowing so hard that it moves your ball. Does that make sense? Does that rule make sense to you? Why does that cost you a stroke? Because it's windy. Well, the, well can you? Yeah, you know, I was the same way. Um, you know, they changed that rule a couple of years ago. Um, it affected somebody, I believe, at uh, New Orleans. And I think they, you know, we have to go back and look. It was a couple of years ago. And um, I mean, look, it's happened to me where I walked up and um, – you know, I didn't uh, I didn't address the ball, I, but I, I put my putter down, the ball moved, and I, I literally was only three inches from the hole. Um, you know, those types of rules um, are very frustrating, but they did change the rule that if the wind does blow the ball, it's not a penalty. 
Um, ah, okay. One thing about over, yeah, the one thing about over there is the green speeds are typically at a speed that uh, you may not see that. You don't see the big undulations on the greens that you do over here. I mean, there are some, but typically your ball is not going to stop there. Um, but they did change that rule to allow. Um, and it only makes sense, you know. One of the, you know, my pet right. peeves on the rules are really the intent of making a golf stroke. You know, if you if you walk into it, you see it happen. It's happened to me. Uh, I think at the Players Championship to the right of number, I think number five, it happened to me one time. I was walking into the ball, and I wasn't wasn't moving anything. I literally just was walking into the ball um, to kind of gauge uh, kind of what I had there, uh, and the ball moved. I was I was I was probably three feet from the ball, and that was a, that was a penalty because I was deemed to have made it move, which I did. Obviously, you know, I, when I stepped somewhere, it, it moved something. And so there was no intent on my part to get myself a better lie, and it, that just drove me nuts. I understand that was a rule, so because I mean, there's no argument there, but it's those types of rules that I think when there's no intent to to gain an advantage, you're not trying to perch your ball on top of a pine cone or something. You know, so you're just you're just trying to get into assess, assess the situation. Uh, you know, you should be allowed to take a reasonable. Uh, stance, and I think you are, but if the ball moves within two club lengths of you being there, um, you've deemed to have moved it, and it's a penalty. And I, I, I hate that. And I, maybe the rules officials feel the same way, and they're just you know, just kind of managing the rule book, but it's uh, something that I think needs to be changed. It's not it's not really fair. You've not attempted to make a stroke at it, and you know, so there's there's numerous things like that, but again, you don't, you don't find a whole lot of that over the Open Championship unless it gets really really windy, which it has done. Right. Our first question this week, Sean, from one of our listeners is sort of along the same lines. They want to know, what adjustments do you make if the wind is uh, gusting 20, 30, 40 miles per hour? What adjustments in your game do you make, or do you have to change your strategy? No, yeah, well, you have to change your strategy. You have to to really be – just kind of patient and accept that, you know, everybody's going to be dealing with it out there. Um, you know, there's certain things, and it depends on the golf course that you're playing. What they allow for over at the Open Championships are low shots to be played, I mean, to be, you know, the ball to be played low or along the ground, which you don't get a lot of that over here. You know, the golf courses in America, the American style courses are more of a, a through-the-air game, um, you know, whether it's carrying uh, bunkers off the tee or, uh, you know, force carries into the green, either over bunkers or over water. You just don't have that opportunity. So the, the game is a little bit different uh, over here, um, although low is still a common denominator. Um, over there, like I said, you can you can play the crosswinds. Um, you know, you can access hole locations that way. Um, you know, there's technical things of choking down the club, you know, trying to swing easy, try not to take a big divot, which causes the ball to spin and get up in the air. Um, the hard part is with the driver. You know, the driver puts more side spin than it does backspin. And so the driver is the hardest club, I think, to really control in the wind, you know, because you, you got this long club out there and you want to swing easy, but you're standing 40, you know, 46 inches away from the ball or, or a little bit farther. And you, you can't, um, you can't make the same type of swing as you can with say a, a an iron shot, um, you know, for fear of popping it up. So there's a lot of things, and, and strategy um, is part of it, and knowing uh, to how to properly hit 
you know, a low shot without creating a whole lot of spin. So everybody's a little bit different, but, you know, you're going to see the typical things where guys choke down, they're going to narrow their stance, they're going to stand closer to the ball. Um, and really, a lot of time, it's just kind of hit and hope. It really is. And it's it's uncomfortable. <laughs> it's really uncomfortable, you know, when you when you really feel like you have no control of your golf ball. And guys really are precise. Uh, when you can control the spin, you can control the distance. Those are the things that we all look for at our level, and uh, managing your, you know, just managing your club selection and those types of things, you know. But over there, once you hit, it's kind of a hit and hope, and that, and that's, it's terrifying uh, when it's your job, and uh, you know, there's trouble lurking everywhere, whether it's a bunker or whether it's, you know, a stone wall or a lake at your course, it doesn't matter. I mean, just the lack of control just is, always gives you pause. You, you mentioned, uh, you know, to play the crosswind, and our next question is is along that line. This is, do you, do you when, when facing the wind or facing a conditions into the wind, do you prefer to fade the ball with the wind and let it ride the wind, or do you want to fade it against the wind? Well, it all depends on how hard it's blowing. I mean, certainly, uh, certainly, if you got you know just a manual wind that's like you know ten to twelve miles an hour, I mean, you'd like to you'd like to kind of work the ball in the wind. And I think with the technology today, it doesn't allow for that. And it's one of the things that I really just I don't like about what's happened with the golf ball is that it's pretty much designed to go straight. And of course, you can maneuver the ball a little bit, but it takes a lot more speed. Um, in order to create the spin that you used to be able to get with a softer ball. I mean, these balls, they, they jump off the club face so quickly, it's hard to control. But when the wind gets to be above 15, 20 miles an hour, you, you, you've lost control. There's, there's, there's really nothing you can do. And that's when it's just about managing, uh, you know, your course management of, of, you know, where do I play this ball into the green to give myself an opportunity for birdie. Off the tee, I, pre- I prefer to always – work the ball with the wind. It's it's tough if you if you're somebody that likes to draw the ball. It's difficult in the left or right wind to aim down the left side um and just and and hope that the wind, you know, brings it back. And I you know I'm a I'm a straight ball hitter, so I don't have too much of a problem, but I just you know, we all have this fear of left as a right-handed player, and it's hard to start the ball down the left and just trust that it's going to come back. And that just comes through experience and um, maybe how you're swinging that day or that week. And, um, you know, then from there, you just have to trust it. And uh, that's all you can do. It's, it's, um, but again, you know, when, when the wind gets about, you know, 15 to 20 miles an hour, all, all bets are off with, with, um, you know, how your shot's going to come off from there. It's just more about managing your height and your spin really than anything else. You know, it's interesting that you you talk about you know having trust and you know uh, that it, you know for right-handed players to go down the left-hand side knowing that it's going to come back. You know, if if you're standing at the 18th at the Players Championship and you got the water, there's nothing but water left. How how hard is it to know that you know what I've got to play this ball out over the water, knowing that the the wind is going to bring it back? That's got to be one of the you know scariest shots in golf. You know, I've never I don't think I've ever played that that course where the wind was into my face. Maybe back in when we used to play it in March and um you know, guys would just kind of aim up the right side. Um but for the most part, you know, you seen when it's in May, it seems like the wind's kind of off the right, off the ocean, which is to the east of where that, that hole runs north 
um, you know, so the, the wind's typically off the right there. So that's not the fear. The fear would really be, you know, wind that was either in your face off the left or blowing off the left. You're not going to see a whole lot of guys start the ball over the water. It's just not worth it because if it doesn't come back, you're either reteeing or you're dropping not very far from the tee. At least if you hit it to the right, if even if you're in the rough, you got a chance to get it up near the green and make a par. If you if you hit it over the water and it doesn't come back, you're, you're not going to make par. It's almost like a stroke and distance penalty. So right. that's where the mental side of, of playing uh, and the course management side of the game. I mean, the majority of the people that you see hit the ball in the water, they're hooking it into the water. You don't see very many people pull it. I mean, every now and then, of course, you do. But, um, you know, when guys are swinging well, the guys at the end of the end of the day on Sunday that are playing there, they're not thinking about the water. They've played so many great holes up to that point. Um, and, again, a right-to-left hole just looks better to a, a right person's eye, a, a player that swings from the right side. just looks better that way. You can hit three woods. And, again, with the technology and the balls, how far they're going, you know, they have, they've moved the tee back a little bit. But with the wind down off the right, it doesn't really – I mean, it, you might have half a club, three-quarters of a club more into the green, and that's it. It just doesn't uh, – you know, those guys are hitting wedges into that green on Sunday, at, and it's a 400 and, what, 60-yard, 50-yard hole. So, um, you know, the trouble's out there. I think in any any – whether it's hole number one or hole number 18, you know it's there. You know you don't want to be there. So acknowledge it's there. Get beyond that and just focus on where you want to hit it. I mean, those are the things that you got to try to tell people. Right. And Sean, you, you've talked about the golf ball here the last couple of minutes, and our next question is around that. You know, how much better is the golf ball today for you know compared to when you first came out on tour? Well, I mean, I think the golf balls were fine when I was playing with them. I mean, yeah, sure they tore up if you hit a wedge too hard, and, and I mean, so you had to replace them a little bit more often, but. You know, I don't know. The whole game has just changed so much. Um, you know, the head size of the drivers are 460 cc's now versus I don't know what they were when I was in college. They first went to Metalwoods. It's probably, I'm going to guess, 230 cc's maybe. I mean, now my driver I used in college is like a deep face three wood. Um, <laughs> but I think, you know, the technology has always been evolving. I mean, the ball that I used in 1994 when I first got on tour was probably different than the ball they used in 1984. Uh, you know, and in 2001, uh, Billy Andre won in Vegas. It was the first, I think he was the first winner using the Pro V1. And that's really where the ball started to really change. Um, it's a huge factor. I mean, now these, these, the balls and the drivers are kind of, um, built together. Um, you know, irons are still just irons. They've just got grooves on the face and Callaway's done some great things with their groove technology. Um, you know, with they've they've added a couple extra grooves. There's always a little bit of reshaping, but they're all working within in the same parameters. So from the rest, for as far as irons goes, it's types of metals and and maybe numbers of grooves on the clubs and stuff like that. But yeah, the driver and the ball have had the biggest impact. I mean, these kids now are hitting it. I mean, I don't know. Justin Thomas is hitting like 360. I mean, you know, he's what 23, 24 years old and. You know, when you used to get out driven when you first got on tour and, and, and junior, I'm referring to Dave Stock and Junior, we play a lot together. Um, you know, a guy might outdrive you by twenty yards or something like that. Maybe if it was one really downwind and he got up in there he might get a little farther. But now these kids are out driving by eighty yards. And uh I get that I'm old, but I still move it out there okay. <laughs> but 
it, it's just it's frustrating, and it's something I just don't like. I mean, I think the game has just gotten out of control. You know, they're having to rebuild golf courses. Um, and, yeah, the, sure, the game and the technology has passed me by. I'm moving on to a different, you know, part of my life, I suppose. But I don't know if it's great or not. I guess it, 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 it's not great for me because I saw how good it was before. But, you know, the guys are like, look, Lauren Roberts look, uh, is a good friend of mine. The technology had probably changed for him, and he got to the point where maybe he didn't like it. So maybe that trend just just continues, and I'm just now starting to see that. I don't know, but but um, you know they probably need to roll it back a little bit. Yeah, and, and, and you know to that point, Shauna, you know I know just you know here recently, my father and I uh, had the opportunity uh, to go up to French Lake, Indiana, and we got to play the uh, Pete Dye course up there mm-hmm. where they held the uh, senior PGA championship here a few weeks ago. And, uh, and from the tips, that course plays 8,100 yards. Yeah. I mean, at, at some point, to your point about getting out of control, I mean, that's it's, it's, that's almost stupid long. I mean, par three is 300 yards. Par three is from the tip. I mean, is that where we're at? We have to play 300-yard par threes in the future? Hey, you know what? We may not be there yet, but we will be eventually. Um, I think, you know, look at, I mean, I remember playing Shinnecock in, uh, what was that, 2004? No, I mean, excuse me, Oakmont, where you had Bob Friend on like, a couple weeks ago. Right. Um, and I think it's at the eighth hole. It's like, I don't know, it seems like it's like 240 yards, too, and, it's, and it allows you to run the ball up. But, I mean, it's it's a long par three. Um, you know, that's the trend. That's where it's going. I just read something on the European Tour that the European Challenge Tour just played a par six that was 700 and. 86 yards or something. I think it was 715 meters. So what's 10, 10% of that? So 785 yards, par six. Um, the game has changed. Um, you know, I think that's kind of quirky. Uh, I'll use that word. It seems to be fair. But um, the game is, is changing, and we're just we're seeing all these changes and how quickly they're changing. I mean, you know, you're – you know, it used to be where, you know, every couple of years they might come out with a new driver. I mean, there's a new driver on the market every four to five months. I mean, Callaway just came out with these new wedges, uh, this new kind of the Phil Mickelson design wedges with the high toe right. um, just maybe a few months ago. And now I'm just reading about this new uh, Mac Daddy 3 wedge with three different grooves, uh, specifications, and three different bottoms, C grind, S grind, and then there's a wide one. So, there's a lot of things that come, and, and all these technologies are changing so quickly. Uh, and golf courses are having a tough time uh, keeping up. And um, I'm sure it's, it's it's fun for the for the guys that have always wanted to hit it long because length has always been something that people have tried to achieve. They just, I mean, from the first time you play golf and somebody outdrives you, you're thinking, how can I outdrive this person? Um, and you realize quickly on that there are guys you can outdrive and it's just guys you can't. Um, so that's where, you know, course management kind of comes back into play. And particularly at our level, um, people are enamored. You'll hear people in the crowd. I mean, I hear them all the time. Man, look how far you hit it by Sean or whatever. Just people love length. And that was, that was what was why John Daly was such a great draw when he first came out. It was like, wow, this guy hits it so far. He's got an unusual swing. He creates a lot of speed, a lot of power how in the world can I, I achieve that? And so most people can't. So what do they do? They have to go find a new driver to try to give them that. You don't ever see a driver marketed as, 
we're the number one straightest driver on tour. No, <laughs> we're the longest driver on tour. We're the best number right. one iron on tour, number one ball on tour. But you never say, we're the straightest driver on tour. That won't sell. <laughs> People don't want that. Some might, but uh, length has just always been uh you know, something that people have been fascinated by, and we've all been trying to gain length uh, since we first started the game. And since the very first person out drove us, that's when it started. And uh, it tells you, I mean, it goes back a long way for me. Oh, that's, you know, it's like we, you know, we hear all the time in baseball, right? Chicks dig the long ball. Yep. Well, I mean, I don't know. What have they done in college in college baseball? I mean, they've kind of they've either they've either changed the ball or they've they've done something to the aluminum bats because there weren't there haven't been as many home runs hit in college baseball. And that was one thing I you, know, you watch these baseball players in college. It's, you know, it used to be they could almost miss hit it and would fly out of the park. So they've changed some stuff with that. Um, some of that may be for home runs. Some of that may be for player safety, particularly pitchers. Yes. Um, I don't know, but they've changed some stuff in baseball, and they needed they need to do the same thing in golf. We just but the ball, I, I I really like the the feel part of the game, you know, right to left, left to right, high, low, those types of shots, the kind of creativity, the feel that you have for the game. Right. Um, and it's 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 not gone, but it's it's a lost art now. And so that's what I mean. I think the game has passed me by, and that's fair enough. It's fair enough. I, I I'm 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 there. I'm 46, and I had my chance, and I've had my time, and that's okay. But it's just not exciting um, to know that you've got a a pin that uh, either into the wind and you want to hit a low punch draw around the bunker that it's just, it's almost impossible to do now. Now, you know, guys, they don't have to hit knockdowns. They throw the ball straight up in the air. They don't, they just swing the same, the same way. And that's the game. And that's not the game that I'm used to. So um, I guess I'll take my ball and go home. It's just, <laughs> it's just frustrating to watch. It's frustrating to watch. Yeah. Yeah. But to that end, Sean, I mean, is is that what we've lost out of the game is sort of the art of shot making? I mean, now, you know, if you can, yeah. you know, if you can bomb it out, like you say, Justin Thompson, if you can bomb it out there 360 and now, you know, to even if the hole is, you know, because we see so many holes now, right? 500 yard par fours now. But if you're bombing yeah. it out there 360, I mean, you're still hitting a short iron into those greens. So it seems like, you know, the art of the game is what is being lost. Uh, it, it has. It's it's gone. It's gone. Now, Bubba, I tell you what, for as far as he hits the ball, man, does he have a good set of hands. He really does, and he puts a lot of speed, and he can get that ball to move. And his eye is similar to mine. I mean, you know, how I used to play, I mean, hitting shots the way he does. And But that is a lost art. You just don't see that. Corey Pavin was the same way. There's a lot of guys that were like that, you know. You know, now, you know, when you want to hit a knockdown shot, you know, I I try to – I mean, it's hard to get the ball low. Um, the balls are designed to kind of jump off the face and, and that thing. But that is the game. It is the game today. You know, guys, uh, you always worried about uh, a guy that swung at a high speed with the old ball because if he if he didn't hit it dead to in the face, he was duck hooking that ball in the trees. Now a toe ball just kind of it's just it doesn't it doesn't curve and a lot of that is the face of the driver with the bulge and the roll and the gear effect that that it has. So you're not seeing that the guys with the high speeds don't hit it as far offline as they used to. They might pull one or they might block one. You don't see the snap hooks. You don't see the slices like you used to. And that's you know it's apparent um, to anybody that, that that watches the game. If you're at an event, you'll see that. I mean, a guy hits it offline, but 
how many times do you see a guy that's like 40 yards offline? Very rarely. And uh, on a 450 yard hole, these guys are hitting drivers 320, and and they're in the rough, and they got a wedge out. And uh, you know, Phil Mickelson's hitting a seven iron like 195 now. Uh, you know, so there's there's a lot of things in the equipment that have changed too with irons and lofts and things like that. But it's just a different game. And um, you know, does it hurt the professional game? I don't think so. It makes it makes it interesting. I think for people that really enjoy the length. It, I think it hurts the other game because it, it basically forces the, the, the club player to uh, always be facing different different course conditions, whether it's tougher pins or a longer course. Courses trying to figure out a way to lengthen their course, add more trees, add more bunkers. Um, you know, it just – is it fun? I don't know. I don't know if it is or not. I don't really play golf for fun, so I don't know. But it's just it's just so frustrating <laughs> to see some of these things happen. Is 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 a trickle down effect of all of this in that you know we you know the number of people playing the game of golf we hear about it all the time the number of players is dwindling and because we've got to you know we've either got to lengthen golf courses which makes you know taking care of the golf courses more expensive now we've seen some some things to try to combat that we saw it last year at Pinehurst at the U.S. Open where they're trying to mm-hmm. put in more natural grasses so they don't have to water as much. Uh, so maybe mm-hmm. that's the way to combat some of this stuff. But the cost of the game is so expensive that it takes, you know, I play the guys, that, you know, like myself that were weekend golfers. We, we can't afford to play because, you know, it, it costs you $80 to go out there. And I'm in Atlanta. The cheapest golf course you're going to find around is around yeah. $70 to go out there and play. Because we've got to expand, we've got to water more, we've got more maintenance to do. Is that really hurting you know, golf long-term? Not in just losing the art of creativity shot-making, but making it so expensive that uh, the average person can't play. Yeah, I suppose so. I mean, the, uh, you know, around Memphis, Memphis doesn't have the best public facilities. They never have. Um, you know, Justin Timberlake had a course, Miramichi, who he just sold. That's that's public and is in great shape. And and Stonebridge, like we were talking about earlier, there's a few. But, yeah, it is difficult. I mean, um, you know, the country club golfer is uh, has gotten a break, I think, over the last couple of years with the, with the downturn in the economy. And that's usually the first thing to go are those right. kind of, those types of expenses. And um, so people that are still able to afford the, the country club, uh, you know, what used to be a lifestyle, it's not really that anymore. It's so competitive that, you know, you can join these clubs for a lot of them are like zero down and you start paying dues for two years. And then after two years, you got to start paying. Well, most people jump ship and go to the next course. We're seeing that a lot in Memphis. But yeah, definitely water's been a huge topic of the last year, a couple of years. I mean, most people will say uh, experts in the field like USGA and PJ America, you know, they they think that that's the biggest threat to golf is the ability to water the golf courses so you've seen more natural areas, whether that's um, saving on man hours, um, you know, gasoline usage for the mowers, um, you know, and and, and watering certainly um, has a has a part in all that. But you know, a dozen golf balls, I don't know. I mean, I'm, I don't know how much I, you know, I use a Titleist ball, so I don't know how much those are. They're probably $45, $50 a dozen, I guess. So right. um, be one thing if you, it'd be one thing if you bought a dozen balls, it would last you. But unfortunately, it place these little hazards in strategic locations that when you hit in one, you can't <laughs> retrieve them. So, um, you know, it is expensive. I mean, you know, you've got, you got to regrip your clubs. You want to get lessons. I mean, 
the business of golf is ultra competitive from all from all aspects, whether it's whether it's you know balls and shoes and gloves and apparel. I mean, everybody wants to look good when they go out there, so they're buying the best apparel and um, the best fabrics and, like I said, the best balls. And which ball do I use? Do I buy a dozen of these and then try a dozen of these. So it is an expensive game, and uh, I don't really know how. Uh, I don't know what their margins are on these products. So I don't know if the companies are making as much money as I think they are or not. But it's um, it's a great game. Uh, it's a tough game, and I think that's where it loses a lot of people, that it is a tough game, but I think that's what makes it fun and, and it makes it rewarding when you when you have a great round of golf. And, um, you know, you have to think, even if you're just playing club golf in your club championship or whatever weekends with your buddies, you have to think. Um, you know, you can't just get out there and just hit it all over a lot and uh, – the fun part is just trying to extricate yourself from some of these locations that you find yourself. It's just, yeah. uh, it's not an easy game. And I think that's where it's being lost and it's not being made easier by the golf courses being lengthened and, and, and things like that to, um, you know, to combat the technology. So I don't know where you grow the game. I mean, you know, you start with your parents and introducing the game, you know, to your to your children. I think that's where it starts. I know that's a big push is to try to grow the game. Are the numbers real about the decline in golf? I don't know. Um, I don't really know how you – I guess you can just look at rounds of golf, but there's a lot of reasons why people maybe aren't playing. Um, and people always just assume it's the worst. Oh, it's the economy or it's people don't love playing the game that – uh, you know, the iPhone and I've got to be on my phone. I've got to be looking down. I've got to be, somebody's texting me. I mean, this this ADD generation that we found ourselves in is, uh, I, I, I struggle with it because, you know, I don't answer my phone uh, when I'm playing golf unless it's, you know, unless it's really important. You know, it's my wife or somebody else. Everything, everybody else goes to voicemail. Um, it's just that people are so accessible these days. It's just, it's kind of forced people to say, well, I can't do anything longer than two hours. My attention span is only two hours. If I can't play golf in two hours, nine holes, then I'm just not going to play at all. Um, I think that's a societal issue. So there's a lot of things that, that are affecting the downturn in, you know, not just golf, family time, family time suffers too. You look at these people at the phone, you walk into a restaurant, you see a family of four, all four of them are on the phone. They're not talking to each other. It just drives me insane. I know this is a golf show, um, and there's a lot of people that would certainly like to chime in and, and you know, teach me a few lessons about technology, and that's totally fine. Uh, you know, it's just my opinion, of course. But, um, you know, I, and I was speaking more to that just as to, to really how how I think that it's affected the game of golf, the numbers of people that are playing golf, because people just don't seem to want to spend the time I remember years ago, and I'll and I'll you know let you go, but um, you know guys would enjoy, or, and women too, would enjoy being away uh, with their buddies for four or five hours. Um, it's like, oh great, I get five hours away to myself and my friends to talk about whatever it is I want. Now it's like, man, I, I can't play. I don't have five hours in my day. You know, I don't want to. I don't want to spend four or five out there with hours out there with my friends. So so that changed. That's changed too, but. People still want to play fast. They want to enjoy their friends. They want to enjoy their family. They want to enjoy the game. And uh, 
but it just seems like everybody's trying to pack uh, so many things in a in a 24-hour day that that golf is it's tough to find, you know, basically, you know, 20% of your day, uh, you know, given up by by a game of golf, and that seems to be where we are. Right. Sean, uh, before we let you go, remind our listeners how they can uh, they can follow you online and over social media. Yeah, I'm just at Sean McKeel PGA, and then uh, on Twitter and and Sean McKeel, you can find me on Facebook. And uh, I'm excited. I I don't post a whole lot of things. I enjoy reading what um, what people are, are the new new stories that are being out there. It's, it's amazing how quickly you know information is available to us now, but. I'm playing next week in the uh, Barbasol Championship, which is a new, it's a new event on the schedule. I I uh, tweeted out yesterday that I, that I was going to get a chance to play, and uh, there you uh, go. Happy. Yeah, so I'm excited about it. And who knows how I'm going to play? I uh, been practicing pretty hard, and, and uh, you know, trying to get ready for the next opportunity. Of course, I'm certainly thinking about the PGA that comes up here in about a month. Um, right. You know, whistling straights. Uh, it's a place that I I defended my championship in 2004, so I look forward to going back there. This will be the third time playing there. But I am playing next week at the Barbasol. I'm close to getting in the Reno uh, to the Barracuda Championship, and I, I certainly hope that I I do. I I love the course, I love the people. You know, Chris Hoff has done a done a great job in keeping that event uh, in Reno with um, with all the things. Uh, you know, just the way the economy's gone. They've pushed through, found a, a great title sponsor in Barracuda. And, um, you know, it's a it's a unique event because it's a Stableford system, much like people aren't too familiar with it unless you played in the old right. uh, Castle Pines tournament, you know, in Denver, which I did many times. It's a fun event to play. It, it, it allows for, uh, you know, a lot of excitement, some birdies to be made. And, and if you hit one off offline, you just pick it up and say, hey, guys, I'll see you in the next tee, you know. So those types of things are fun. And so hopefully I'll get a chance to play those, uh, play Reno as well and and then the PGA and hopefully and hopefully get into the Wyndham. You know, the Wyndham's at a golf course where I won my first uh, web.com event in 1999 at Sedgefield Country Club. Um, I think I'd asked for a sponsor's exemption once or twice after I became non-exempt and I never got it, so I quit writing. Um, you know, maybe I just didn't do something right. I don't know, but but it's an interesting course and a fun course and has a lot of memories for me. But uh, other than that, it's just about trying to make a push towards figuring out a way to get in the top 200 um, in the FedEx Cup and the money list so that I can, uh, you know, get into the final four series. And it's tough when you don't get to play much. I saw that in the rust that I had in Memphis. I bogeyed the last hole to miss the cut by one. So it's hard to compete against these kids that have been playing, you know, 15, 20 weeks you know, um, you know, on a more consistent basis than I have, but just all the more reason that I have to take advantage of every opportunity that I get. So I've got to earn my way back, and that's what I'm trying to do. And uh, we are we are deeply in your corner, Sean, hoping that uh, you know you get into all the events you talked here, play well up up at the at the PGA up at Whistling Straits. Uh, of course, I know you're familiar with, so we're with you. And uh, moreover, Sean. We are very appreciative and blessed to be able to have you on the show as often as you've been able to join us. A lot of fun getting to have you know, an opportunity to talk to you about what's going on in and around the game and then have you answer questions from uh, from our listeners that are listening in around the world. So thank you very much for continuing to be back as often as you have been. That'd be great. I, I enjoy it. I, I said I, I enjoy uh, answering the questions and kind of sharing some of my life and some of my experiences with 
with people out there that, that don't always get that opportunity to, uh, you know, I try to get, I try to let people get to know me a little bit and, uh, hopefully I'm doing a pretty good job of that. You are doing a very good job of that. Thanks again for, uh, for being here this morning, Sean, all the best, uh, over the, over the next week. Hopefully we have the opportunity to talk to you next weekend. If not, you're out playing in a golf tournament, you know that we're rooting for you and, uh, and hoping that uh, you play really, really well. That's right. I'm not too far from you. I'll be over there in Auburn, Auburn uh, Tiger territory at Auburn. It's the new Robert Trent Jones uh, Grand National Golf Course. So I'm not too far from Atlanta. So um, we're getting closer to meeting each other face to face. But uh, anyway, looking forward to it. And and I appreciate you having me on, Chris. Have a great weekend. All right, Sean. Take care. All the best to you and your family, my friend. Okay. You too. Thanks. Uh, Sean McKeel, 2003 PGA champion, and uh, what a great guest uh, that he is every single week. And getting to talk the game, to get to talk about the game, and then have him uh, answer your questions as well. Like I guess a true blessing to have Sean McKeel as Joe. All right, folks, it's time for me to put a bow on this one. Before we close up shop, I want to thank you know Dave Stockton again for joining me earlier, and I'll also remind you about the great book that he and his father. Dave Stockton Sr. have out there. You've heard me talk about it on this show for several months now. It's called Own Your Own Game. Remember, folks, so much of the game, you heard us talk about it today, is played between that five-inch space between our ears. Get your mind right. In uh, their latest book, the Stocktons lets you know how to use your mind to play winning golf. Own Your Own Game recreates the experience of riding 18 holes with Dave Stockton Sr., one of uh, his highly sought-after corporate outings, and draws from his experience as a champion player on both the regular tour and the senior tour, and as a revered coach. He lets you know how to think better, stay calmer, execute more consistently, and most important of it all, right, enjoy the game more thoroughly. Go to StocktonGolf.com to get your copy, and for an extra couple of dollars, Mr. Stockton will even autograph it for you. All right, everybody, my sincere thanks once again to Dave Stockton Jr., to David Meltzer, and Sean McKeel for joining me today and for making today's show so much fun for me to be a part of. We thank you for choosing to listen to the show. We appreciate you guys the very most. Please also check out our sister show, Thursday Night Tailgate, uh, with me and my co-host, Mr. Bob Lazari, our announcer, Joe Lajanusa. That show airs every Thursday from 8 to 10 p.m. Eastern Time. You can hear it streaming live over on Blog Talk Radio and on Armed Forces Radio as well. Plus, on Friday nights, you can hear us from 8 to 10 p.m. Eastern Time on Boost Radio. If you go to BoostRadioNetwork.com, they're streaming us over there Thursday nights from 8 to 10 p.m. Eastern Time. That show, like this one, can also be found on iHeartRadio, Spreaker, TuneIn, Stitcher, Player.fm, and SoundCloud as well. Every week on Thursday Night Tailgate, we are joined by legends from around the NFL and the CFL. We're official partners of the NFL Alumni Association. So if you enjoy listening to the legends of the game sharing their stories, please check us out. Again, Thursday Night Tailgate, you can find us online, thursdaynighttailgate.com. This show you can find online next on the T.net. You can stream or download any of our episodes for free by going to either site as well. Again, thank you for choosing to listen into the show today. We appreciate it very much. Until next week, hit him straight, my friends.
Adding the choice of a crispy chicken BLT to Wendy's 4 for 4 is the biggest thing since rappers trying to sing. I got me out and I sound like a robot. But do you like the sound of this? Wendy's 4 for 4 now comes with a choice of a junior bacon cheeseburger or a crispy chicken BLT. From Detroit to Macon, I keep it crisp like bacon. Both are topped with crispy applewood smoked bacon and come with four nuggets, fries, and a Coke for just four bucks. Oh, yeah. At participating Wendy's for a limited time, meal includes small fries and a drink. Not valid in Alaska and Hawaii.